Welcome to episode 96 of Breakout Culture. I'm Ed Vasey, the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf, and I am the associate editor at Country and Townhouse. And today we're going to be talking about beauty, and in particular, beautiful buildings. This is one of my pet subjects, as I'm quite often moaning about how many beautiful old buildings are being torn down to be replaced by shabby new builds. So it was music to our ears to hear that the registered charity, the Royal Fine Art Commission Trust, with a mission to promote design excellence and the public appreciation of architecture, staged its first ever Building Beauty Awards just a few days ago on Monday the 21st of November. I was even more delighted to be invited to host those awards, which were staged in the sterling prize-winning Bloomberg Building in the city. Everyone was dazzled to be in such a prestigious building and even more dazzled to be in the presence of its designer, the legendary architect Norman Foster. He was there in person to present the prizes to the delighted winners and we are equally delighted that he's here with us on this podcast. Hello, Lord Foster. Hello. As well as Lord Foster, we're very lucky to have Stephen Bailey, the design guru, one of the founders of the Design Museum and chairman of the Royal Fine Art Commission Trust. Hello, Stephen. Hi, uh, all of you. So this has been a bit of a problematic podcast because when we first tried it, there were some technology problems. When we last tried it, we had the culture historian Cassie Sinclair on it. She was the only female judge on the panel. And so we were hoping that she'd come back for the re-recording, but unfortunately she's had a family emergency. But other judges included Clive Aslett, Paul Finch, Rory Sutherland, and the great jeweler Theo Fennell, who also made the prize winning trophy so it sounds like it was a lot of fun i mean i know theo very well i know rory a bit i've met clive aslett uh, so i can imagine it was a, an enormously enjoyable task just sitting around the table discussing who was going to win but stephen can you start by telling us with how you came up with the idea and why you think it's so important to celebrate beauty in buildings engineering and public spaces well we wanted to get the royal fine art commission trust can actually trace its history you know, through a few intervals back to Prince Albert, who's always been a hero of mine and was very interested in integrating art into society and didn't see any distinction. So, you know, we, we want to keep that sort of tradition alive. But for me personally, I've always been, you know, I'm an aesthete, not in the sense that I hope I'm just sort of a, a limp-wristed wallflower. I'm an aesthete in the sense that I, um, you know, I, I find the visual character of things overwhelmingly interesting. And that's one. It's a preoccupation of mine. And, you know, that's what design is all about, if you like. It's about the it's about the humane cultural aspects of the man-made, you know, the man-made world. And I think essentially beauty, I wanted to do what I could to rehabilitate the word beauty. It's, it's something people are almost reluctant uh, to talk about, particularly artists, for instance. You can find an artist nowadays will talk about anything other than, other than beauty. That's fine, but I wanted, um, you know, I, I wanted to reclaim beauty. Simple as that. So this is the beginning of a process. It's the, this is our first Building Beauty Awards. We hope it'll continue to be an annual event. And I just emphasise, we're not the all the award winners were exemplary building designs. And all the we weren't just sitting in a room, by the way. All the judges we visited, everyone, you know, we've seen everything. We saw it. We're not trying to offer buildings designs for imitation. It's not about style. It's about inspiration. We don't have a working definition of beauty. Who could? It's evaded Kant and Plato, so it's certainly going to evade us. But basically, we think that a building's beautiful if it changes your mood, if it gives you a standal says the prospect of happiness, if it actually, without sounding pious or pompous, if it actually makes you think life is even more exciting than it already is. So that's what I wanted to do. And I'm delighted that our president, Lord Foster, has played a huge part in making it possible. Obviously, this thing about beautiful buildings is freighted with political meaning. 
And it's something that I got very involved in as a politician. It's obviously a perennial thing of mine, the government I support and work for doesn't take this very seriously. But having said that, of course, they've been banging on about beautiful design quite recently, but trying to get housing ministers and people with real influence to kind of impose or intervene with the house builders to build beautiful spaces seems to be an almost impossible task, Norm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, these awards overlapped with a week-long workshop in my foundation in Madrid, which brings 10 top students with 10 mentors, experts from around the world, and very impressive individuals. Also, that resonated in the, uh, in the awards because the, the building winner was social housing. Uh, in London. And there's no, I mean, it it tends to vary from one culture to another. And certainly in Vienna, the idea of social housing, it accounts for 60% of all housing, 80% is rental. And the work there in terms of creating neighborhoods, green spaces, is part of the DNA of of the city and goes back a long, long time, more than 100 years as a tradition. Architects are reluctant to talk about beauty, but if you go back to probably the original Vitruvian description of architects, it's commodity firmness and delight, and delight is firmly in the beauty corner. Well, interesting, the, the Vienna anecdote is um, is significant because actually the, the winning, the McGrath Road housing by Peter Barber, it's almost like a reflection of the famous Karl Moxhoff in, 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 in Vienna, an amazing bit of social housing in the 1920s. But I think my point is, I hope the success of our awards, and without being vainglorious, I think, thanks to Norman, it, it is going to be a success. Uh, I hope it means we'll catch the ear of government, because it's very much, as you say, a Don Levant at the moment. Michael Gove has spoken about beauty being a necessary part of future planning applications. If we can get the ear of government, what I'd like to say is um, beauty, it's not just got social value, which is obviously immensely significant because people are happier, better behaved and more fulfilled when they live in a beautiful environment. It's also got actually got a cash value too, uh, you know, simply because ugliness sells very badly. I mean, there's every incentive, um, every incentive imaginable to try to make better, more delightful, Vitruvius is voluptas, more delightful built environments. And the, the extraordinary thing is how up till now, people have been reluctant to actually articulate this idea about beauty. There are lots of architectural awards around, and quite rightly, architecture is more than beauty. It's about sustainability, function, and what we know that, but this is exclusively about beauty, and we want to focus people's minds on that, how we can make things more delightful. Scientifically proven, statistically proven, patients after surgery, if they have a room with a view, they leave hospital earlier. Literally, the the prospect of, of an element of beauty in, in that situation, you recover faster. Well, you've just got to ask yourself the question, have you ever heard anybody say, I wish I were less beautiful? The shorthand for beauty is Poundbury, for example. And I do not think the vernacular is beautiful. You know, the, um, sorry, pastiche is, is beautiful. I mean, when I went to Poundbury, what I appreciated, funny enough, was the planning. I liked the idea that it was a walkable town and that had been thought about, but I didn't appreciate the pastiche. I mean, do you think people equate beauty too much with pastiche? I think this is one of the dangers. One welcomes the fact that uh, Michael Goad, the housing secretary, has said that beauty must be a fundamental part in future planning applications or success of future planning applications. And he's spoken about design codes. Now, that 
makes me slightly the alarmed because I think you know creativity is a pretty unruly activity and not subject to codes. I, I what I'd, I'd make the point we're not talking about style here. Now, style is immensely important. Style is the expression of you know human beings' intelligence, if you, if you like, on in personal terms. And the Royal Fine Art Trust as well. We're not a, we're not a lobby group for the conservation lot nor, nor, nor for aggressive modernism we're just about quality and excellence about your, your comment about pastiche and I would just say that people get muddled up when they're talking about tradition I love what Gustav Mahler said about tradition he said tradition is much more uh, a matter of tending the flame rather than worshipping the ashes and I think that while you're absolutely right about Panbury as a plan, as a concept. It's great, you know, traffic free and da, da, da. but architecturally, at least to my mind and I, it's uh, it's uh, very suboptimal. Can we move on now to talking about the winners themselves? There were four categories across housing, engineering, public spaces and little gems. And the overall winner was not only very, very beautiful, but also an extraordinary feat of engineering. And that was the... Tintagel Castle footbridge in Cornwall. Yes, I, I I saw it from a distance and it looked just incredibly delicate against the sky. It links the Cornish mainland with this historic little island with the castle. And as you get closer to it, you you realize it's it's just beautifully detailed and crafted. And in probably it is two cantilevers that almost kind of kiss each other and they align perfectly. And you realize that, uh, that, that so many people have come to visit the castle, which goes back centuries, of course, and are spellbound by the, uh, the experience of crossing this void on this just beautifully delicate structure. So it is a um, stunning manifestation of, of, of beauty, technology, craftsmanship it ticks all the boxes well yes it's very difficult to define beauty as we know but it's it's actually quite easy to detect it and one of the interesting things was with these uh judges i suppose we looked at several hundred buildings overall and it's very interesting how consensus firms up quite quickly there was very little disagreement between us about what we thought was truly excellent we want to make our awards very specifically about the public appreciation of beauty. It's what the people see from the street and in their own environment. Who are the winners, Charlotte? We're all dying to know who won. Well, we know one. It's... Who won in the categories? Go through the other category winners. Well, there was McGrath Road. Uh, McGrath Road um, by uh, Peter Barber. Peter Barber's an architect with a very distinguished record of making um, social housing. You know, I think it's an ambition of us. Something we discussed in the juries would be the idea that when you say council house, it shouldn't be derogatory. You should be able to say uh, the council house should be an absolute standard of excellence. And you could look at a private property development and say, this is almost as good as a council house. Now, that's a sort of ambition you know, we, you know, we have. that Council housing shouldn't be the lowest denominator. It should be the best possible. Like the Italian Communist Party used to say, you know, the best salami for everyone. And uh, Peter Barber's building is the, uh, it's like that, it's the best salami for everyone. It, it's social housing, but it's carefully thought out. It's, uh, it, it, it's characterful. It adds, it, add, it adds energy and character to the area. And it adds, you know, it adds, it makes people proud to live there and happy to be around it. Uh, so therefore it's beautiful. And then in um, engineering, there was Tintagel Footbridge, which won overall. And then there was public space. And that was the wonderful, wonderful uh, River Thames illumination. 
I made the point that, that infrastructure is the urban glue that binds together the individual buildings and arguably is more important than the architecture of the individual building because it determines the quality of urban life. It determines the DNA of a city. It's what makes New York different from London, different from Paris and, and so on. So, uh, so in a way, celebration of the river by highlighting its connections and the connections like public space is the essence of infrastructure. So I felt that was a, a really worthy winner. And again, draws attention to the importance of the public domain. Mm. And, and I like very much what the judges have said about it, that until that whole amazing lighting display had been put in place, the Thames at night was just really pretty dull. Now it, it's this wonderful display has put it back centre stage at the heart of the city. Quite extraordinary that up until now it's generally been ignored. And for the past, you know, and until the past 20 years, people have turned their back on the river rather than, rather, it's changed a lot. Now, a lot of interesting buildings have now been appearing on the river in the past uh, quarter century. But this, it's, I'm not saying it's easy to light a building, but this is a way of adding extraordinary quality to, uh, to the environment at relatively modest cost. And it's, it was thrilling because of that. It's something, again, it's about the popular aspects of our Building Beauty Awards. It's something there for everyone to enjoy. And then tell us about the last category, which was Little Gems, because this was a really unusual winner, the Tower of Light and Wall of Energy in Manchester. Tell us about that. Well, we agonised about what to call this category. Little Gems sounds as though we're trying to be greengrocers. But um, <laughs> we, just thought, we, we just thought it was the... Um, we just thought it was the right thing to do. These are buildings of designs of great quality, which, you know, because of their small scale, didn't you know, probably didn't qualify for a building award. And the um, the Tower of Light in Manchester, uh, it's an astonishing achievement. It's it um, it's just a, a wonderful wrap around some very heavy duty industrial plant. It's a, it's basically a miniature power station at a very gritty. Um, Crossroads Junction in, in in central Manchester, and let me be unashamed to say it with great art. The um, the, the designers have added. It would have been it would have been pretty terrific if they just left the, you know, these huge diesel motors and everything else exposed. But of course you can't do that. We have to clad it in something. They clad it in something which is completely original, and they've sent spent exceptional care and ingenuity on, on, on cladding this heavy-duty mechanical and thermal plant in something which is eye-catching, especially at night, and it animates this whole grim uh, little crossroads in Manchester. And again, it underlines that fundamental thing about, you know, what design is, whether we're talking about product design or building design or whatever, design is what designers do. They take ordinary materials, and with ingenuity, wit, and creativity, they turn ordinary materials into something which is, if you like, magical. And that's what happened with the Tower of Light. It's just no one anticipated that there could be anything quite so lovely. I met the I met the designers. I haven't seen it and I can't wait to see it. But I met the the designers over drinks before the ceremony. It's an extraordinary, it's almost, I mean, it's a work of uh, public sculpture, really. Uh, just beautifully crafted. Stainless steel sprayed white and um, beautifully patterned and... Um, and extraordinarily minimal. I mean, really doing a lot with a minimum amount of material. Uh, uh, it, it looked beautiful. Uh, I'm very interested as well what you were saying about consensus, because you only had Cassia as the only female judge. Did she have a different point of view at all? Or I mean, I'm just interested if, if a woman brought a, a kind of different set of eyes to bear on, 
on any of the judging or not? Um, I don't know what the correct answer to that is. Um, <laughs> I, I think I need notice of a question like that. We didn't look. I'm, I'm as an advanced species of human beings are ever going to find, but we didn't choose Cassia because she was a woman. We chose Cassia because she's a very distinguished cultural historian with, a, with an interesting eye. So no, I don't. I, I wasn't looking for a female point of view. I mean, our judges. I mean, our judges. Yes, they're mostly men and one women, but we didn't. Gender didn't play anything to do in our selection of them. We I, we just chose people whose opinions we admired and whose knowledge we sought. But no, as I said, there's this general thing. You know, years and years ago, I used to mark university theses and things, and it's there's never actually any real disagreement about who gets a first. There's never much argument, and there was no. We had very, very, very little argument here. I mean, no arguments at all, but there was never any serious disagreement about what deserved to win. Who sponsored the awards? They were sponsored by um, a developer called Ballymore. Oh, good. One of, one of the biggest developers in the country. We, we sought them out. We needed sponsorship. The Royal Fine Art Commission Trust is not an endowment of its own. It's quite handsome, but it's, you know, it's, it's, we have to, we're a charity. We have to, you know, to, to look after it. So we need sponsorship to do these things. And we went to Ballymore because of all the big property developers, and it's one of the biggest, they take it, they're not perfect, but they take it a lot more seriously. They, they care about public space. They care about the quality of their buildings. And we were thrilled that they wanted to become engaged with doing this in order just to basically raise standards. After, after the ceremony, Sean Mulryan, the founder and chairman of Ballymore, he came up to me. This is almost the most thrilling thing about a very thrilling activity. He said to me, dear, my dear Stephen, I am so astonished by the, the level of creativity and the variety of work that there is out there in this country. And my own hope and ambition is that having, which Ballymore has already been, you know, is, is a progressive property developer. I hope we've shown them that there's what spectacular amount of talent there is in this country. And not just in not just in London, and it would be the greatest you know, the greatest uh, approbation of our Building Beauty Awards if Ballymore were to hire some of the architects whose work either won or was commended in our Building Beauty Awards. But that's I hope is part of the whole process. We're you know, we're starting now because the Royal Fine Art Commission was set up by Prince Albert. What's its twenty first century iteration at the moment? What do you do day to day apart from these extraordinary awards? Yeah, well, my answer to that, Ed, is that, that there is nobody in this country, no organisation, which is a, a, a non-partisan spokesman on matters of architecture and the built environment. And that's what uh, we want to make the Royal Fine Art Commission Trust. Non-partisan. It, all, we, all we care about is quality. All we care about is beauty. We want to articulate those ideas. This is the first. These awards were actually planned for 2019. Then there was COVID, and we started working on them. Then, uh, and then there was COVID, which has delayed it until until now. At the beginning of a rolling process. We have this award every year. We've published a book because the plug to go with this called "This Is Architecture," which is about the best writing about architecture, not by architects or architectural critics, but by great writers like you know Virginia Woolf, Umberto Eco, Tom Wolfe, Dickens. You know, our mission is just to articulate our intelligent observations and intelligent appreciation of architecture. I think it's important to repeat what Stephen was saying earlier, and that is, it is about quality. It's not about style or any particular lobby. It's totally independent. And you've got international awards coming up. And I think, Lord Foster, you might have a conflict of interest because <laughs> I noticed that there's a, um, there is a building by Foster and Partners in the Sharjah that's up for a prize there. It's one of many. <laughs> Who will you be cheering on? <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound like a football club. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So, so tell us about those. Tell us about the international wars, because that's really quite something. And some of the entries are fabulous. Well, yes. Uh, I mean, thanks, again, thanks to our sponsors' um, generosity, we've been able to extend uh, our national uh, Building Beauty Awards, which took place uh, Monday, 21st of um, November in London. Uh, we're going to Lisbon next week for the International Building Beauty Awards, in which the, the winner of uh, the British one, the Tintagel Bridge, is, um, as it were, our national entry. And there are nine. I'm chairman of the judges there, too. And we're judging nine different projects from Iran, uh, Singapore, Finland, Sharjah. So we'll know the results on the 3rd of December. And that's for the International Building Beauty Awards. So we're extending, if you like, extending the franchise to the planet. Sorry to sound like a one-trick pony. Did you invite any politicians to the awards ceremony? Um, I don't think we did. We're not anti-politicians, Ed, but it just did occur to us. <laughs> no, well, I think, I that's, uh, I think in, in that answer encapsulates one of the gulfs that needs to be bridged. Tintagel-like. Invite some MPs to the next one and start educating them by osmosis. Sounds good. I think we should take that idea up. I have visited Tintagel Bridge and Norman's description of it is absolutely right. It's a breathtaking piece of architecture. And again, it's about how you can insert, if you like, a piece of very modern engineering into an ancient site. I mean, Tintagel is a sort of King Arthur style place of myth and the bridge fits perfectly into its landscape, yet it is also unashamedly a piece of modern 21st century engineering. And they're both timeless. Well, that's the great thing about one of the tests of excellence in design, that it transcends the ebb and flow of fashion and taste. It's just like William Morris said, you should have nothing in your home which you don't feel to be beautiful or know to be useful. And of course, the Tintagel Bridge is both those things. It's both beautiful and useful. That quote's hanging in my bedroom wall. So, the, the, the... <laughs> There was another very entry I really liked, which was the the Halle Orchestra's space next to the church. There's a beautiful old Italianate church, and they'd built this very modern rehearsal hall next to it. That was another example of old and new sitting very happily alongside each other. Well, I I visited it and I was very impressed. And it's just another example of the, like the William Morris thing, anything which is well-designed will sit perfectly well with anything else which is well-designed, you know, from whatever era it comes. And I thought the Oglesby Hall, the Halley rehearsal rooms in Manchester, uh, was a, you know, was a, literally a masterpiece. It's a, it's a building of character and has genuine standout quality, but without dominating its environment. It's a genuine compliment to this nice late, late 19th century red brick Italianate church. And they two sit perfectly. It's just very, you know, it's simply very well mannered. And it's one of those things, just the test, you know, it's, it's the test of, as we said at the beginning of our conversation, we said, you know, beauty is impossible to define, you've detected. Does it make you feel more optimistic? Does it make you feel cheerful? Does, does it make you think life is even more interesting than you first thought? And the answer is yes. Well, what a great note to end on. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Before we go, we just want to mention a new book out which is very much related to what we've been talking about today. It's by Nicholas Boy-Smith, who's founder of housing social enterprise Create Streets, which aims to co-create beautiful, sustainable, economically and socially successful places to live. An aim that obviously resonates with today's guests. The book's called No Free Parking, The Curious History of London's Monopoly Streets, and it's an unconventional history of the capital city told through its most famous and infamous streets. 
Obviously, it's a great Christmas present for anyone interested in London, but also for anyone who's ever played Monopoly, as he delves into the history of all the streets you can buy in the game. Next week, we're going to be talking about beauty of a very different nature, because we're going to be going in search of aesthetic dining with the author of a book by the same name. She's called Christina Macris. Christina has spent years travelling the globe in search of the best art restaurants. Tough job, but someone's got to do it. She's honed her numerous dining experiences down to just 24 restaurants, although I think one of them has already closed. Anyway, you'll be lucky to hear that a third of these are in London, England, seven are in London. So if you're listening to this podcast in the UK, tune in next week to find out where you can eat superb food in the company of great art. As usual, you can find us at countryandtownhouse.com, where you'll also find the latest edition of the magazine, as well as be able to listen to our sister podcast, House Guest with Carol Annette, talking to some of the most fascinating and influential names in interior design. We love your feedback, and we'd also like to hear if there's anything you'd like to hear us profiling or changing. So please send me a comment or email us on charlotte at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. Thank you very much indeed for listening and see you next week. Goodbye. Take care. Bye.